welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Casey Borer, who is a former teammate of a one Jehu, Jeff Lavecchio. And Casey grew up right outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, played his prep hockey at Shattuck St. Mary's for one of the top teams probably ever to come out of that program. Uh, Took his talents, as he said, to St. Cloud State in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where he was a two-year captain there. And then after his college career, he played 12 professional professional seasons, including a few call-ups to Carolina Hurricanes, had a couple... Tough things that happened to him along the way, especially one big time injury, which we get to on the podcast. But uh, this was a great conversation and uh, always great to get on former teammates to talk about the old days and and to talk about uh, some embarrassing stuff from my co-host here. So uh, why don't we bring on our co-host, the one Jehu Levecchio. Vex, what's going on here today, man? Not much, brother. Uh, funny story for you. I mean, I, I, I tell my guys never to, you know, indulge in self-deprecating humor, but I'm not playing anymore. So I'll, I will allow that to happen with myself here. We got off the podcast yesterday. We hung up. Casey immediately texted me and he's like, Jay, who I had a story to embarrass you. And I could not remember it. I totally forgotten. As soon as we hung up, I remembered. So we went, uh, we met some of the guys from the OG Eagles, which we talked about on the podcast. There, all guys who played in the NHL for, you know, one of them played like 500 games. It was like Bayou and, and Murley and Caldwell. And, you know, these guys were all drinking beers. And the next one he won, I was like, ah, I'm not a big drinker. Just grab me like a sangria or something. And they were just toasting me, <laughs> me apart. And he was like, Vex, I can't believe I didn't tell that on the podcast to rip you apart. And I, I just, I knew you'd like that. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, you got just boom roasted, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what else was funny too? I can fall asleep anywhere and like, uh, like working hard like i'm like i'm either zero or a hundred pretty much and we would be on trips or we'd be at in like tokyo's train station where there's like a billion japanese people running around at full speed and i just fall asleep like on the middle of the floor in the middle of the japanese train station in tokyo or shibuya or wherever we are tokyo airport and they have so many pictures and videos of me just like planking sleeping face down in these like crazy <laughs> populated japanese like places or korea or china or russia wherever we're playing that year and uh they thought it was so funny to just snap they had like a a whole like album of like jay who's sleeping in ridiculous places but casey's a great man i was really happy to get him on and it was really cool to hear you know the the other side of minnesota hockey which is not the high school it's kind of more the triple a side uh with with shattuck and and how he came up through there and then progressing through the ranks at St. Cloud and playing NHL games and hearing all about his story. It was, it was fun for me to listen to that. Yeah, definitely. Now, I do have to ask you, like, I'm sure you guys probably spent a lot of time together when you were playing with each other in Japan, having gone through like a really tough traumatic injury. Um, you know, at, at, at the beginning of your guys' careers, that could have railroaded your entire career. Um, did you guys talk about that a lot? when you guys played together? You know, I I asked, I talked to him about it when we were there and, and um, you know, it's, it's hard, man. Like he, Casey's such a good guy. Like he's just like, he's just salt of the earth. Like always will tell you how it is. Like doesn't 
won't lie to your won't lie to you won't sugarcoat things just how he is like he's so funny but he's just so open and honest and um I felt like there was a little bit of pain behind his eyes from that from that injury when we talked about it in Japan um he's a little more reserved than I am you know uh, somebody asked me a question I'll tell him that honest answer all the time like no matter if I sound stupid or what um I felt like there maybe was a little pain behind his eyes from that but like he never you never would have known it if you didn't ask him about it you know uh you know he played 11 NHL games I think his 16. first year pro oh first year first okay. year yeah. first year you played 11 like that's so many coming out of college your first year pro and you know and then for him to break his neck in his second year like it just it sucks, but you know, he still played 16 total NHL games, played a bunch of years in the American league, played in the DEL, the Czech league, like unbelievable top leagues over in Europe, made good money, like awesome guy and was able to play after. So he was super happy, but you know, it's, it's not easy when you have those things, but I'm sure that it served him well the rest of his career and what he's doing now. And, you know, the medical device sales industry and uh, you know, he's just, he's a salt of the earth guy. So he, you know, I love what he said, like he didn't, he didn't let it get him down. He didn't like look at it as a crutch. Like he's like, well, this is my life. I, I'm going to make the best of it. And he got back to the NHL for more games after that. So very, he's just a good person. And I'm, uh, you know, I was happy to hear that. Yeah. I think that in and of itself, the fact that he missed an entire year with a broken neck and, and was able to come back and play NHL games like that, I feel like is an even more impressive feat than making the NHL to begin with, because yeah. I mean, just the adversity. And, and that's the thing that like people don't understand, you know, they, they see what happens on the ice and, and all of that. And it looks great and everything, but there's so many in a professional career, high level, anything. I mean, it doesn't even have to be sports, where it's like really, really hard. And, you know, a lot of the times what we see on social media, what we see on TV, we see kind of like the finished result, the end product. But 99.9% of the people at the top of their profession have had dark days. And it's one thing I've talked about a lot. Like, it's really, 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 really hard to be great at something. It's like extremely, extremely hard because like you have to have an attitude of getting back on the horse when things don't go your way. You have to have an insatiable work ethic. You have to have an insatiable belief in yourself that when the, the tough times come that you can get back into it. And, you know, like it's just really hard to, to do that consistently every single day. And that's why there's so few people at the top of their profession. That's why there's so few people that achieve greatness is because it doesn't come with a lot of, without a lot of anxiety. It doesn't come without a lot of adversity. It doesn't come without a lot of dark times. And, and uh, I, I just think the more that we talk about it and, and especially the more that like high level people, NHL people talk about how hard it is, um, and not just NHL people, but people at the top of their profession in anything. I just think that's that's great for people to hear that it's it's not easy. There's a reason, <laughs> and there's luck involved for sure uh, in being great. But there's there's a reason why these people achieve what they achieve. Yeah, and there's so much pressure too, right? I mean, to, yeah. you know, you have one great year. Now you're constantly held to that standard. And you're constantly, everyone's wanting you to, to replicate and duplicate that year or even surpass it. So now you're like pushing even harder to constantly pushing the envelope. So there's a lot of internal pressure as well as a lot of external pressure, especially depending on what market you're playing in as a professional athlete. What are you talking? Are, are you saying this too? Because of what happened yesterday with that donkey, what's his name? Is it Skip, 
Skip Bayless or whatever, what he said about Oh, oh my player. God. No, I didn't. But what I a thought tool. that's why you were bringing this up. No, it I wasn't. Read- I mean, I was just talking about Casey, like, and how amazing it was to, to take that extremely tough time and, and to make it back. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's and how, that's- and, and like for me, I mean, your neck and your head, like, obviously they're, they're connected, but like, you know, breaking your neck is different than a concussion, but also kind of similar. Cause like that's, you know, I can't imagine coming back from breaking your neck and like not being scared to play at least in the beginning. Like, I mean, I've talked about it before and I never talked about this when I was playing because I didn't want to like bring it, you know, didn't want to have that like in the air, didn't want to be putting that out in the world. But I mean, I was scared every single time, at least a little bit. It was in the back of my mind at the very least, every single time I put my skates on after my concussion, you know, missing a year, sitting in the dark for six months, not being able to go to a grocery store for more than three minutes like literally three minutes. And then I'm like, I'm going to go play hockey skating around at 25 miles an hour at 210 of twisted steel and sex appeal. And I'm supposed to be out here hitting guys and driving the net. Like, you know, it, it was nerve wracking and it was like that for the next nine years. So I can't imagine what it was like to break your neck in like a, an accident where you have no control over and then being on the bus, like how much more bus riding you had to do in the American league and in Germany and through Europe and how, you know, that it's traumatizing, you know, like, yeah. probably has a little bit of uh what's what's that called um ptsd did it ptsd man yeah. like seriously like had to be hard but like t- let's talk about that skip bayless thing like what a donkey yeah like, it goes right along with what we're talking about like was, i don't know who it was you know i don't watch no, it was dak prescott so he's the the quarterback of of uh the dallas cowboys and somebody in his family i can't remember who um you know, I, I believe it was, they committed suicide. I'll have to fact check myself on there. Um, Cause I didn't know that until this whole Skip Bayless thing came out. And so Dak Prescott basically said, you know, he was suffering with a lot of anxiety because of it. It was something, it was a traumatic event, obviously. And so Skip Bayless said something to the effect of like, you can't be, you can't be that open with having anxiety as the, the quarterback leader, of the Dallas Cowboys as a leader. And uh, you know, Skip Bayless has, has made a living of saying, very controversial things and towing that line. But that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, like, I, and that's the thing that pisses me off is because like we are some, I think everybody deals with anxiety, like some yeah. people more than others, but life is hard, man. And, and especially as you get older and you got more responsibility and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so the, the stigma that you're weak and you're not a leader if you'll if you're vulnerable and you share those kinds of things it it takes us back generations you know that's that's how our parents grew up that's how that's how we grew up really i mean this stuff didn't really become kind of okay to talk about and it's okay to be okay until kind of recently i guess right and so skip bail like it was the, it was literally the, the worst take i've ever heard and and to me Somebody sharing something like that and being so vulnerable, especially in the position that he's in where he's going to be judged by idiots like Skip Bayless for that. To me, that is one of the, the biggest sources of strength that I've ever seen. It, it takes so much strength to be that vulnerable because for as many people like Skip Bayless who thinks it's dumb, there's going to be times that by a million people who are suffering in silence that are going to be okay now going to get help because they, if, if somebody like, if they're, cause what they're thinking, if somebody like Dak Prescott 
is, is dealing with something like I'm dealing and he's okay, like talking about it and, and showing vulnerability, then it gives them a little bit of strength to be able to deal with it. And, and, um, you know, a little bit of that shared adversity as well. So I, it, I, when I saw that, I just, I saw it late last night, I got home from the rink and I put one on Twitter and, and I was just like, man, what a, just so dumb. I know I, I saw it too. And I knew you would see it. And I don't like getting on Twitter and bagging on people. Like that's not what I try and use social media for. Like, um, you know, I don't want, and I also don't want to be like a bandwagon jump on her guy, you know, like the guy's already getting slaughtered for what he said, but like, has he ever been on a team? Like, has he ever like been in a locker room, especially at a high level? Like any leader that I've ever loved or followed, like when I find out that they've gone through hard times, I'm like, Oh, like I'm looking up to you because you're at where you're at. So for me to know that you've been through a hard time and you're at where you're at makes it seem more accessible and more, more available that I could maybe rise my station up to be better than what I am now, because I know that you're gone through the hard times. You've gone through hard stuff and you got to where you are. So that inspires me that you didn't, Oh, I didn't, I know now that you didn't just have an easy road just to get to be the, you know, whatever the quarterback of the, of the, you are or this guy or that guy in the NHL. Like for me to know that you struggled, for me to know that you battled, well, I'm a young kid and I'm battling and I'm struggling. So now that I see it, I can relate to that. Now it gives me more belief to push through my battles, to push through my struggles, whether it's mental, physical, whatever it is, and, and get the help I need from whoever to be better. So, yeah, I mean, I, that, that infuriated me, but I didn't want to put anything on Twitter or Instagram about it. So I just want, kind of goes along with what we're talking about with Casey and just a very strong individual, both mentally and physically and in his dumper, as we talked about, huge, huge, huge dump truck on the guy. I'm just trying to make him laugh because I know he's going to listen to this. Uh, but yeah, what a cool story from Casey. And what cool players he got to play with too coming up at Shattuck. That was, it's cool to hear about those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one, that was the thing. And, and we talked about it on the podcast. Like we were the same age as Casey. And, you know, growing up, we didn't have social media. I mean, the internet was kind of new. I feel like it wasn't even like a, that big of a thing. And so you just kind of heard about people, right? right? Like you didn't see the videos of them playing on YouTube and you didn't like, you know, see the the neutral zones or the USHR or whatever, scouting reports and, and things like that. You just kind of heard through the grapevine. And one of those guys was Zach Parisi. I mean, Zach yeah. Parisi was a guy that like everybody, it, it was like him. And then younger than us, it was Phil Kessel. I feel like those were and like- Shrimpy. And Shrimpy. And yeah. Those Shrimpy. three, man. I mean, and O'Sullivan, Patrick O'Sullivan too. Um, I think all four of those guys in terms of Americans anyway, down here in the States, those were the guys you always kind of heard about. And so like hearing about those, like Zach Parise, I mean, that was, and then going, going against and playing Shattuck and you knew you were playing against Zach Parise and Brady Murray and Tyler Hirsch. Yeah. That line. Um, that was very, very cool. So it was good to kind of hear some of those stories from Casey about those guys and what their time was like at Shattuck. And, And again, it goes back to it, right? Like they, they just worked. There was, it was like, that was a culture at Chaddock St. Mary's and we had Noel Needham on here, but you guys couldn't listen to it because it had to get taken down. But she was at Chaddock, we had gags, we had Nick Petraglia last week just talking about how kind of Spartan it, it, the, the place was. And I tell the story about how when I went out there for the first time, it was as a recruiter at Cornell to, to go watch a tournament out there. And I'm thinking Chaddock St. Mary's, you know, you got Crosby and Taves and McKinnon and and, and Parise and, and Borer and, and all these guys yeah. out that, uh, that played in the NHL. So I'm going there and I'm thinking, 
oh, like all the bells and whistles, man, this is going to be like, just good. And, and I froze my toes off. Like literally it was one of the coldest rings I've ever been in. There's no bells and whistles to that place. They just put in an honest effort there. They make their kids better. And uh, it was cool to hear Casey talk about his experience there. Cause I feel like his personality kind of fits that mold. Just get in there, get the work done, get better. And, and uh, it certainly showed with, with what he did in his hockey career. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, uh, well, good stuff, man. Well, let's get over to him. What do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So we want to thank our title sponsor, Gel Sticks. Go to gelsticks.com, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Use the promo code ThinkTank, one word, to get your discount off of waiting traded aid sticks. Thank you to Train Heroic, Jeff's awesome and easy to use training app. He's got five different workouts on there that can help you. And then I know you're doing a big push because of COVID. Uh, a lot of gyms aren't open and stuff. So contact Jeff because you can use your, it's, whether it's a youth team, whether it's a junior team, whatever, um, you know, you can, uh, you can use this app to, uh, to get your kids physically fit. Yeah, it's actually been really cool. I put a tweet out maybe last week, beginning of last week, middle of last week saying, Hey, like, I know that there's a bunch of junior teams that aren't allowed to use their gym or they're not even allowed in the rink yet. And I feel so bad for these kids. So I said, you know, any teams, and I was talking about older teams for the most part, but I've had a bunch of younger teams message me as well. Said, Hey, I'll send you one of one of the phases that I wrote for the summer closer, probably phase four here. Um, and you don't need a lot of equipment for it. Like the boys can figure it out. I'll send the app to every kid on the team's phone. And I've had uh, quite a few junior teams reach out that are now using the program, a couple college teams, a couple younger teams uh, too. one of them being here in St. Louis. So, um, and I did it totally for free, you know, for, for the kids who are literally home because of COVID. So if you get shut down because of COVID, um, you know, just message me and I'll send you uh, a program for free. And I will say like, this is my intellectual property. I do work very hard. I spent a lot of money on videography and all these other things to get these done. There were some people who just messaged me and like, Hey, can I get a workout? And I was like, man, like I'm trying to help people that are, that are getting closed out of rinks because of COVID. Like that's who I want to send these programs to for free guys who are kind of at the end of their rope. Um, but this is also, you know, what I do for a living. So if I, if I ask if you've been shut out from COVID and you're like, no, you know, just give me the program. Like, you know, <laughs> they, they are on sale for only $32 as well. I'm trying to help everyone I can, but I got to eat too. I eat a lot. So <laughs> just wanted to say that as well. Big dogs got to eat. Yeah. dogs got to eat. And, uh, and then thank you to all of our listeners over 125 episodes strong here. Uh, we continue to do this because of the feedback that we get from you and, and how much of an impact we feel like we're having on the youth hockey community, uh, both at, at a macro level and, you know, the best thing that we get are reviews or emails or direct messages from families that tell us that our podcast has made a significant impact on, on their lives and has made their youth hockey or higher level hockey experience just a little bit better. And uh, that's why we continue to do this. And so if you can just continue to uh, shoot us ratings and reviews on iTunes and, and Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Again, we want to, we want this to be the go-to podcast in the car on the way to the rink for all families. And uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were given a little spiel like this. And basically one of the things that they said was the more reviews and ratings that you get as a podcast, the more legitimate you seem to the people who are looking for podcasts to better themselves in whatever field that you're in. So if you can, if you think what we're doing is, is great for the hockey community, uh, please shoot us a rating or review, uh, share us on social media. It will allow us to get that message out 
even more to uh, the greater hockey community. And hopefully we can have even more of a positive impact uh, that, than, uh, than we've been doing. So uh, we really appreciate that. We really appreciate your support for our podcast. We have a blast doing this. And uh, now without further ado, you guys are going to love this one with Casey Bohr. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from the land of 10,000 lakes, Casey Bohr. Casey, how are we doing today, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me, Topher. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming and on. You and you too, Jeff. Yeah, it just well. doesn't, doesn't say anything to me. Former power <laughs> yeah. play line mates doesn't even give yeah. me a shout out. Thanks. Sorry. Eat it, eat right. it Jeff. <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, hey, Casey, we'd like to take it way back at the beginning of these things and, and kind of find out how you fell in love with this great game of hockey. So I know you grew up right outside of Minneapolis there. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you got into the game. Who were some of your mentors that, that helped you fall in love with it? And uh, what it was like growing up in Minnesota? Yeah, sure. No problem. So yeah, I grew up outside of Minneapolis and um, I spent a lot of time skating outdoors. Uh, We had a rink in the yard and my uncle had a rink in his yard as well. And he was about a block away. So I played a lot outside with my brothers and my cousins. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it was we had the Minnesota North Stars were in town at that time. And so uh, we would go to a lot of games, my dad and I. And I, I think really, I just playing outdoors is kind of where it was enjoyable for me. And, um, thinking back, it was spent a lot of my time on the weekends and, you know, my parents spent a lot of my, their time taking me to the parks and, um, you know, there's just a lot of opportunity to play. And so I think that was, that was awesome for me. And then our, you know, obviously going through the youth programs, that was, uh, that was a big deal. And, you know, you met, I just must have really enjoyed hanging out with my friends and, um, playing hockey. So it was just one of those things. I just liked it a lot more than any other sport. And, uh, my parents were willing to drive me time and time again. Did you play other sports growing up? And if so, at what point did you solely focus on hockey? Uh, I did. I played baseball. I played soccer. That was kind of, that was kind of it for summer. I I don't remember playing, like doing a whole bunch of summer camps and, um, you know, I, I never went to like the retreats where you could go on a lake and there was an ice rink and you kind of had like a, a, a week long camp. I never really did any of that stuff in the summer. I kind of just kind of just did uh, baseball and soccer in the summer. I, I would say probably probably not till um, I was about 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood where it was kind of mostly hockey. Um, was that put you at about eighth grade, eighth, ninth grade, somewhere in there. Um, that's kind of when I was like, all right, I guess I do. I like hockey the best. And I wasn't probably wasn't good enough to, I didn't enjoy the other stuff. It's so hot, but running around in the summertime playing soccer. It's like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. Oh. That's me. I'm not a great runner well, that, anyway. So yeah, that huge dumper on you. There's no way yeah. you were a base runner. This guy's no. got a dumper, like a garbage truck. Toe. <laughs> a lot of hockey guys do. Well, that's okay. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, so that was kind of. I'm not built for. I'm not built for running. So um, that's uh, yeah. So it kind of happened there, and I, I actually was played on the summer team, the uh, Minnesota Blades, and I think that kind of introduced me to a whole different level of of hockey. You know, I was just kind of, if I remember correctly, I was just kind of at my youth program with my, you know, 60 guys that we all kind of grew up. You know, it was all the same guys playing squirts and peewees, and then 
some point I joined this blades team and that kind of exposed you to, you know, it's like, Holy cow. Like this isn't just little Brooklyn park, Minnesota anymore. This is uh this hockey's a state game. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're playing teams from Michigan and Canada and Chicago and, you know, it kind of opens your eyes and it's like, wow, if you really like this, like there's plenty of opportunity, but um, you have to be very committed. And, you know, again, I know I already mentioned it, but the, the commitment from parents is, uh, you know, it's, you can never repay your parents back for all the time and money and support, as I'm sure you guys know that. Amen to that. Kids, you hear that, kids listening? Give your mom and dad a hug. Right. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And then take care Seriously. of them when they're older. <laughs> Something. Yeah. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty impressive. I was coaching a Bantam team a little bit this year, and you know, I, at some at one point, I just I remember telling the kids like, I don't know who's driving you guys to all these practices if you're ride sharing or how it's working but just make sure you're saying please and thank yous because it's uh it's a lot so absolutely man well i'm interested to, to hear how you got to shattuck because you know a lot of kids that grow up in minnesota they they love the high school hockey experience and and uh, it's a big part of their childhood growing up getting the chance to play for their high school and stuff and you know you went to uh shattuck st mary's and and had a great career there so i was wondering kind of why you went away from the high school and went to to shattuck Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very true. I mean, the uh, Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament is, um, you know, even to this day, I'm a little bit of a super fan of it. You know, I try to tune in and watch as much as I can for that week. It's super cool. And um, it's definitely, you know, in the, in the springtime, it's definitely like a staple in Minnesota. Um, But I guess for me, it was kind of where I was at. I, I think I kind of had more aspirations to, uh, play at a higher level and I get weighing out the options between my, my local program and Shattuck at the time. Um, it seemed like Shattuck was awesome, um, in terms of development and, you know, you basically went there and, uh, you knew it was a good school and, um, the hockey was, you know, you're on the road, you kind of, you had to grow up quick, but anyway, how I wound up there is I just went to the summer camp and, um, I, you know, I guess I did a halfway decent job at the summer camp or something. And they, they approached my parents and to see if we had any interest in going there. And, and I did, I, I had a blast at the summer camp. It was, you know, at the time it seemed, it was just, it seemed like it was just like a sleepover and then you could play hockey also. So it seemed awesome. And, um, you know, all my friends, um, to this day or not all of them, but a lot of them are guys I went to Shattuck with and, um, you know, I just, the experience there was just awesome. I mean, as we were talking about before we started, you know, we'd go, go down for a weekend trip, come down and play CYA or the chill or go over to, over to Madison and play the capitals or go to, go to Canada, go up to the max tournament. And, um, it was just a great learning experience, um, for hockey wise and the competition was phenomenal. Um, it was just a different mindset. How, uh, how good was Zach Parise? at Shattuck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like yeah. I've heard, I've heard stories about like some of the stats, you know, that he had and, and the amount of points and like it was him and Brady Murray and, and Tyler Hirsch, I believe was the line. Yep. And that I think everybody line. in the country knew who they were or had heard of them. So like yeah. being on their team, how ridiculous was it? But then also how awesome was it to play against those guys in practice and get better? Yeah. I mean, if you could, if you could try, if you could stop them, it was great. Um, Normally, you know, they'd be eating your lunch. It seemed like every time they'd be coming down on a three on two or whatever in practice, but you know, it was pretty phenomenal. They could take over 
um, they could take over games and in the blink of an eye. I mean, you could be down three goals and it it was almost like, you know, they already were playing in high gear and they, they just found a different level. Um, I I remember one time at the max tournament, which at the time was a big tournament in Calgary, I believe we were playing honey baked and, uh, I think it was a championship game and we were down like two or three to nothing early. And I don't know what those guys did, but they just took over the game. Um, you know, the way that those three played together was, it was phenomenal. And I mean, it's obviously now you look at Zach's career in the national hockey league and, um, you know, Brady Murray played for six, seven, eight, ten years in Switzerland. And I remember Tyler Hirsch, um, you know, he had one year where I think he got hurt playing college and he still was leading the entire nation in points or top five without even playing for half the season. So, I mean, that just speaks to their, their dedication and their, I don't know, that, that line was ridiculous. It would have been pretty cool if they all would have went to the same college, see if they could repeat it in college. But um, Brady and Zach went to North Dakota and Tyler ended up at the University of Minnesota. I wonder how hard it would be to be that good. Like those three guys, cause you know, I played against you that year. I wonder how hard it would be to be them and be that good because like there was no Twitter back then. There was no Instagram phones. Didn't have internet. I mean, I don't even think I had a cell phone back then, or maybe it was like the first year I had a cell phone. And I don't know if you're like, I know you just started coaching. You just retired recently. Same as me, but like now like kids are constantly looking up you know, who's talking about who, who signed where, what, what is, you know, this website talking about. And everyone knew who they were back then, just like everyone knew who Rob Shrimp was, someone we've had on the podcast before. Sure. And the, nothing like there is now. So I wonder how hard it would have been to be them and be that dominant in hockey, you know, now. Right. Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy because we were just kind of hidden down in Fairbolt, Minnesota, which I don't know if you've been to Fairbolt, but um you know, it's, it's God's country down there and it's a small the coldest town. Rink, coldest rink I've ever recruited in. Yeah. Like I yeah, had to wear there. three pairs of socks. Like my toes would be frozen. And even in the yep. new rink, that's the new rink is that cold. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I remember going to recruit nice. there. Yeah. I remember going to recruit there and being like, just knowing the aura of Shattuck and it being, you know, the prep school that had all these people guys go off to play in the in the nhl and all these women go off to play in the olympics and stuff and i'm like oh it's going to be this pristine just unreal rink and blah 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 and i'm you walk in it's just spartan just yeah it is. no bells and whistles to it but then you look at the wall of all the alumni and where they went and it's like holy crap like there's no i always talk about how bells and whistles are not like you shouldn't pick teams based on bells and whistles you should pick teams based on substance and that's what shattuck is but yeah sorry sorry to interrupt you so freaking (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's cold but just to go back to that wall you know when it was just the one rink now they have just a magnificent facility with all the upgrades and stuff down there i mean it's it's second to none but you it used to be they just take a, like an eight by 11 picture and put it in a frame and put it on a wall and i don't know i mean the last time i was down there with the way that the women's program is down there now and um the way they've just kept filtering in players for the men's they're probably running out of room with guys um guys and gals who've gone on to D1. And, um, but yeah, like you said, that old, that old arena is just there's nothing like it. And it's, uh, it's cool. But Jeff, back to your point about the Twitter and stuff. I, I remember one time when uh, you're, you're kind of hidden down in Fairball. And I remember one time sports illustrated came to do something on Zach. And that was like the biggest, you know, it was like the biggest hoopla around 
campus that Sports Illustrated was coming. But, you know, other than that, it was just kind of, you weren't in the Minnesota State High School League, so you're just kind of down there on your own. And, you know, even everyone, like you said, everyone knew about them, but it was kind of, no one really knew what it was because it wasn't in the Minnesota State High School League. And in Minnesota, AAA is not really, at that point in time, it wasn't, it wasn't big. Like there wasn't an elite league. There wasn't um, all the, a couple junior teams and stuff. So you're just kind of hidden down there. So, yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see what that would have been like with uh, all the social media capabilities that are out there today. I would have vexed, like, I don't know what you guys think, but like I would not have been able to handle social media as a 14 to 16 year old. Not a chance. No way. No, no way. I don't handle it now either. I, I, I've linked in an email. <laughs> I think about that. In, this guy would live in a log cabin with no internet, no TV, no running water. He'd like go fish for all of his food. He'd drink out of the stream. He would live off the land. That's the kind of man. He, he had the, he would just grow like a massive beard and wear flannels. That's, that's Casey Bohr when I think of him. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I think Just that was a compliment. The a picture of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's unreal, man. So you, uh, so you had the, obviously the great experience there at Shattuck, and then you found your way to St. Cloud State, and and uh, it seems like just from kind of looking up, like the two years or not the two years, the four years that you were there, it seems like your your latter years might have been a little bit better than your first couple in terms of the team and how the team did, and there was a coaching change and all that kind of stuff. So, um, talk to us a little bit about what it was like to to play at St. Cloud and your experience there. Sure. So St. Cloud, I I, I love it. I mean, it's a great, great spot to play. And yeah, we had, uh, we had a tough time my freshman and sophomore year. Um, we did, I, for whatever reason, we just couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't win very many games and, uh, we weren't necessarily a bad team, but you know, I don't know if it was just a combination of everyone else was just that much better. or If we just didn't have the guys or I'm not too sure, but then, um, that summer, uh, Bob Motzko came in. So we had Craig Dahl and he was like, you know, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, track record there. I think he was there 17 years, kind of really jump-started that program and him and um, they had a lot of great assistants come through and some fantastic players. Um, they went to, you know, NCAA and I don't know, could never get over the hump and for whatever, I don't know, the powers that be decided it was time for a change and uh, Bob Motzko came in and, um, you know, our junior and senior year, or my junior and senior year, I think one year we went to the NCAAs and one year we were in the WCHA final five final and, you know, we had a good run and then uh, Bob just kept progressing the program. And I think they were in the frozen four and um, then he left and now he's at the university of Minnesota and uh, coach Larson's there and, you know, they're doing well. And um, so in terms of the coaching, you know, it was, they've had a few, a few great ones in there with, and, and Herb Brooks, he, he was there as well before Craig. And so they've had great coaches and they've done some rink renovations now. And, um, you know, it's a great place to play. And I know that um, I still have a lot of friends there that I keep in contact with. And I think the the guys that are still going through there, I, as far as I know, they still like it. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know what it's like playing the NCHC. Um, it used to be the WCHA when I played and that was phenomenal. So, um, Topher, you could probably attest to that in terms of, is, I don't know if attendance is, is down across college hockey or if it's up or how that 
that's just kind of uh you know no, based on good, where man. you are it's good. I mean, St. Cloud, I mean, that what a, what a place to play her. Was it her Brooks arena? I think is what it's called. Her now. Brooks arena. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, Lars, Lars is awesome. The head coach there. He's got good assistance yeah. and Gibby, Gibby just retired. So, uh, college hockey lost a, uh, lost a beauty, lost a legend. That's for they sure. Did. Assistant coach. They did. <laughs> they did. Gibby is, Gibby's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, it's great. To, it's great that he was, a was a Husky at one point. I think, I think he's been all over, but he, uh, what a knowledge, a wealth of knowledge there with that guy. I'm, I got a funny feeling he's going to find his way around to uh, some rinks still. I don't think he can, I don't think he can truly stay away. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it seems like an awesome place to play. And and when we were going up through and doing those uh, select festivals, they would always right. used to be at St. Cloud. So just right. get a chance to, to go there and play on the big rink and stuff and see the facilities and everything. I mean, had to have been uh, at least you had everything there to be a, a top-notch program and they've even done some more amazing things to the rink now so it's uh they're they're on the up and up that's for sure yeah they are they are it's so hard to compete nowadays with all the with all the arenas you know it seems like every every college has just uh, awesome facilities so i you know i i can imagine recruiting is uh it's tough it's an arms race. It is it yeah. is for sure. I mean, all the kids that are playing college hockey nowadays, I mean, they all have aspirations of playing in the NHL. So yeah. as a program, you have to have a, a facility that can foster that kind of environment where the kids know they're going to get better. And yeah. uh, it's, it's big. I mean, when a kid walks into a locker room and they see the amenities, they get excited. I've seen it on their faces from having recruited and it's uh, it's a big deal. And again, it goes back to it. Sometimes it's a little bit more bells and whistles than it needs to be. And it's not facilities that are going to get you to the next level. It's, it's your work ethic and resiliency and, and all that other kind of stuff. But um, certainly uh, college programs have put a lot of stock into how their arena looks. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That was That's a good truth. point. That was a good point, Tove, saying that I've, a lot of college hockey players now have aspirations to play in the NHL. Maybe it was different for you guys. I don't know how your guys' schools were when you went there. I know Cornell was pretty good. When I went to Western, they were at the bottom of the CCHA. But, like, when I went in there, I felt like most guys, like, didn't think, you know, oh, I want to play in the NHL or, oh, I could play in the NHL after college. Like, I was thinking that. Like, I was like, that's my goal. But I feel like a lot of guys weren't. How was it at your schools? Casey, go ahead. You're your uh, guest. <laughs> I, I think I think there was kind of the that um, that mentality uh, to some extent, just because of the previous guys who had had come through. You know, we had had some guys who had made it to the NHL, and you know, I guess off the top of my head, there was like Mark Hardigan had just been there, Joe Motzko, um, Ryan Malone, Jeff Finger, and we had kind of kind of the eight to 10 years before I had got there, there was kind of some guys making, making some names for themselves. And then Brett Hedekin, Matt, you know, Matt Cullen, Mark Parrish. Um, so there's kind of some, some pretty solid NHL guys that had come through. So I think, I think for some guys it was, you know, Hey, I'm going to use this as my springboard to try to, you know, play. But, you know, I think there was also some guys that knew that, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of just, that was going to be it. They were going to play, get their degree and move on from there. Part of it maybe is now there's so much exposure to the NHL with the social media and, you know, NHL network. And, you know, I I don't remember there being an NHL network when I was in college. 
maybe there was, but um, I, I just think that now it's so readily available to see all these guys um, kind of, whether they're, it seems like whether you're a draft pick or a free agent, you know, if you're good enough, they'll find you and you can get a chance where maybe that wasn't quite the same because they, they didn't have the video scouting or whatever it was, but it was just kind of like, if you weren't drafted, maybe you didn't have the same shake as now it's, it doesn't matter if you're a free agent, they'll find you. Very true. Well, and I think, true. well, uh, for, like for us, I, I know this from, you know, like playing there, but then being in the coaching room after I played there, like Cornell, because it's an Ivy league school, they wanted to recruit hockey players. So they really did a lot of their research and due diligence to make sure that the kids weren't just getting the, an education and that's all they were there for. Like they wanted, they wanted kids that had aspirations of playing at higher levels. Um, so they really put a lot of, like I said, time and effort into how much is this kid passionate about hockey? Like how much is he willing to work to, to want to play afterwards and stuff like that. So for us, like, and we had a lot of draft picks on our team. And at the time, I mean, this was the early two thousands, right. And this was right before, right around the rule changes and stuff. And everybody knows Cornell, like big, strong, tough. Uh, and, and we had a lot of guys like that. So we had a lot of picks on our team. We had a lot of high round draft picks, a lot of guys that ended up playing in the NHL. And so uh, that was the atmosphere that was around. There it was like, we're all pushing each other to try and help each other to get there. And I think the coaching staff did an awesome job of recruiting the right types of players and then providing a culture where hockey was important and hockey, even though it was an Ivy league school and we were getting a great education for us. I mean, if you asked any of us in the locker room, hockey came first. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's natural. I would assume that's, that's kind of across the board was the, you know, in the locker room, it's like, well, we got to take care of hockey. And then, you know, school is important, obviously. I mean, you got to stay eligible. You got, you know, I think, most guys are probably smart enough to realize there's life after hockey. So, but yeah, that the hockey coming first is kind of like, all right, we got to take care of this and then we'll hit the books. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about your recruiting process because uh, you from Minneapolis, the U's right there, you know, North Dakota's right across and, and there's so many good schools from right around there. What was it about your process that made you want to go to St. Cloud? Um, I think it was, I went to, um, I went to a game there when they were playing the Gophers and, and it was, um, you know, the, that it's a smaller arena, but the Gopher fans traveled well. And it, like I said, it was back in the WCHA and they had both had a great team and the, the atmosphere at that game was, was standing room only. And it was just, it was phenomenal. And, uh, I went there and then I went out on a, on a visit with uh, a guy by the name of Andy Lundbaum and Matt Hendricks. And they were just, solid upperclassmen and they were they you know they made they kind of like that atmosphere you're talking about they they knew that they had some some business they wanted to take care of on the ice and you know off the ice they wanted to be they seemed like great guys and I just really got a good vibe um from from those guys mainly and then the, at the at the time coach Dahl uh coach Wilner and coach Harbinson were you know they were great great recruiters and they you could tell that they they were passionate about the program and the hockey aspect, but at the same time, they, they were interested in you as a person and your development as a person. And I think that was, you know, that's important. That's important too. Yeah. Big time. I mean, recruiting is all about personal relationships. Freddie's done an awesome job out in BC now 
or BCHL, I should say, <laughs> since we're yeah, talking right. about college hockey, building, building that Penticton program. I mean, the amount of players that go through there to play in college and the NHL, and he must be it's an incredible. Recruiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just, he just, uh, he just fires them through out there. And I, I mean, I haven't talked to him in years, but that's what everyone says is look at, you know, Harbinson's got that program just dialed in. So guy, I mean, guys leave just to go, you know, that's where they want to go. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's, let's get a little bit to your pro career now. And, uh, you know, it certainly came with some adversity, especially at the beginning. So if you can, uh, know, uh, you know, you sign your contract with Carolina and, and getting ready to be a full-time professional player and all that kind of stuff. And then I had a pretty big injury that, that put a big halt to that. So if you can just describe the injury to us and to our listeners and what it was sure. like going through that process and, and maybe how it even helped you to, to have a, a longer pro career. Sure. Um, yeah. So my first year, um, first year playing was, was good. I got a couple call-ups and I was living in Albany, New York. And um, I was on a team of a lot of really good um, veteran guys, uh, Keith, Coin, Trevor Gillies. And there was another Husky out there, um, Tim Conboy was his name, and I had played with him at St. Cloud. Oh, big tough boy! Oh. Yeah, yeah, the old nail gun Conboy. So um, <laughs> he and I, he and I were D partners, and he, I mean, that guy, I mean, he knew how to train, and and he kind of took me under his wing, and I was uh, I was smart enough to, you know, just kind of soak it all in because he had already been through he'd already been through the American League for I think two or three years at that point. I remember he signed early. I don't remember if it was after his freshman or sophomore year, but anyway, him and the, the two coaches were Tom Rowe and Jordy Kinnear. And they were, they were awesome. And I was willing to, I was willing to listen because I knew there was a lot to learn and going from the 28, 28, 30 game schedule to playing against men for 80 games. I was like, well, I got, I got, I got a lot to learn. So anyway, I kind of just went, Comboy and then um, followed his lead and I remember my first call up was the uh, was the uh, New Year's Day and you know did fairly well stuck up there for you know I was just up filling in some guys got hurt and uh, did well and um, and he had another call up that year and uh, finished the season I actually blew up my knee at the end of the season so I didn't play in the playoffs or anything and then um, just rehabbed in the summer and got ready for my second year. And then I was just sent down off a call up and we were coming home from a game in Lowell, Massachusetts. And we got into a bus crash and, um, I broke my neck and some of the other guys, you know, they had season or yeah, season ending injuries. I don't think anyone had a career ending injury if I remember correctly, but uh, it was, you know, it was pretty nasty. I think we kind of didn't play some games for, for like a week or so. Just, uh, we had to get some bodies cause we had a lot of guys out from the injury or from the bus crash with injuries. So we had to get some guys called up and, you know, get, I don't know, just get, make sure the equipment we had, the equipment was all trashed. And so we had a little cleanup to do. And then, uh, we finished that season and I had, uh, I had to wait until the fall, just about one year. And then I kind of, you know, I, I trained and I, I showed up to Albany and I, I trained for about three months, just practice. And then I finally got back into a game. Um, so then I played two more years. 
then our team moved to Charlotte. I played a year in Charlotte. And um, yeah, and then I took my took my talents overseas, I guess. And I started in the Czech Republic. And then I wound up in uh, in Germany for for four years, two years in Nuremberg and two years in Berlin. And then um, over to Japan for a year. And then I went back to Germany for two years after that. And so, you know, I guess um, I consider myself fortunate um, on the injury standpoint, but also on just what I was able to do after that um, in terms of being lucky to keep playing and have uh, all the experiences that I did have. It's unreal that you were, you were able to come back from breaking your neck and didn't, didn't you have surgery on your neck or no? Yeah. Yeah. I had surgery um, on my neck. And um, so that was kind of the deal. You had to wait, wait till that healed and um, you had a fusion and um, you know, that was kind of, I don't know. That was kind of just, I, I guess I just looked at it as, Oh my gosh, it could have been so much worse. And um, you know, I just kind of put in the work and, you know, I, there was definitely times where I didn't know, I didn't know if I'd ever play again, but um, at that point in time, it's not really your concern, I guess, probably in the back of your mind somewhere, but um, I, I, I felt like I had just started. I just started my career and I didn't, I just tried to do everything I could to be able to continue that at, at some level. And um, I did get, I did get a game or two after, after that surgery. So, you know, that was kind of, I guess kind of rewarding, um, you know, just to be able to get, get back and play one or two more NHL games. So overall it was great. I mean, I'm super fortunate and, um, lucky to play as long as I did. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And looking back, like, do you feel like, you know, I know that you played well on that call up and then you got sent down and then you break your neck like immediately and, Pro, you know, playing in the NHL in your first year pro coming out of the age, like that's amazing. There aren't many guys that, that get to do that, especially, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Now younger guys are starting to play sooner, but back then that was not, you know, very normal to have that happen. Like, is it, is it hard looking back? Do you ever, you know, I know this is a tough question. It's not a fun one, you know, guys want to answer, but me having a bad injury too, like, do you look back and are you ever salty? Like, God, like if I only didn't break my neck or like, or anything like that. And, and if you do, like, how, how do you, how did you get past that? You know, the rest of your career? Sure. Yeah. That, that's a tough question. I, I don't just because I, I will, I don't allow myself to think like that because it's just, it's so hard to make it, whether it's in the American league, just getting to college is, is um, a feat. And especially today, the competition so tough. And so I guess, to answer that a little bit more directly, no, I did not approach it as that. It was just kind of like, all right, well, this is what the situation is. And you, you can either sit around and cry about it or, um, you know, try to make something of yourself and uh, continue to play if that's what you want to do. And um, that's kind of the road I took because I just, if you look back, I mean, that American League, that'll eat you up in a second if you sit around and feel bad for yourself. So, um I kind of just knew that I either had to, I had to put up or shut up, I guess, for lack of a better term. It was just kind of like I wanted to play and I, I just put everything into it. And, um, you know, obviously it didn't work out for the long run, but I, you know, like I say, I, I couldn't consider myself more fortunate to not have a worse injury. And I, I really have to give credit to um, 
you know, a lot of the guys that I played with and the coaches, they were extremely patient with me and they were, they gave me the, the chance to succeed. And I think that's very important um, for any player or just person, you know, you have to, you have to be around good people who are willing to help you and go out of their way to give you their time. And, um, you know, that's just kind of, I was, I was just so lucky. I had great coaches that, you know, I'm sure I was struggling when I came back to try to play hockey again. And, uh, you know, they kept throwing me over the boards for better or worse. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out over here, but I, I had a great, great career in Europe. And, um, you know, I just consider myself super lucky. I met some great people and um, lived in some great towns. So I have no regrets. I, mean, I, won't, I, won't even, <clears throat> I won't even let you say that it didn't work out. Like you played two more games in the NHL. You played more years in the American League, the second best league in the world. And then you go over and play in one of the best leagues in the world in the DEL for four years in unbelievable cities. You make good money. We wind up playing together in Japan. Like <clears throat> there's so many people that, and Tof and I always talk about that success is a relative term. You know, so many people, want, oh, you didn't make the NHL. Like, oh, you, where'd you play? It's like, man, to stay at that level after breaking your neck, like, like it's so impressive. Like it's absolutely amazing. And, and something Toph has talked about, he's been very open about, is talking to a psychologist or a sports psychologist or somebody who can help you with the mental side. Did Back then, by any chance, did you ever talk to anybody when you were coming back with any of that stuff? No, not really. I mean, it kind of wasn't, you know, the that side of things wasn't, it wasn't prevalent. I mean, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was talked about. And I, you know, I guess I just, for me, it was more, I just would lean on, you know, I had, I found guys that I had veteran guys around me and I, I just kind of would soak up what they would say and they would, you know, they would, let, they would let me bend their ear on stuff. And, you know, that was just kind of the, kind of the way I chose to do it, I guess, and deal with it internally and um, find trusted allies that I knew I could count on and that would give me solid guidance. And that's just, that's just kind of what, what I would do. And I, I would watch, you know, I'd watch, I'd watch what guys, that we're getting called up would do. And, um, you know, I think observation is, is huge. You know, you, if you're able to, to find your own path by watching guys and going, okay, I like what that guy's doing. He's having success. And then you look to the other side of the room and you're like, Oh, there's that guy. He's, you know, first or last in first out again. And, um, you know, it's not going that great for him. So, you know, you just kind of, you pick your, you pick your avenues, I think to some extent, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, that's just the way I did it. And it's not for everyone, I suppose, but um, I knew that I had a, you know, I, I wasn't like a superstar by any means. So I had to, I had to figure out what you have to find your niche, you know, figure out where you fit in and do the best you can. And, and that's just kind of the way I did it. I didn't, I didn't have, they just didn't have that mental side of things. I don't, at least I didn't know about them. I don't, maybe you have had a different experience, but um, did you ever see that Jeff or Tove, or did you guys have it in college when you were coaching at Cornell? Well, it's interesting. Like what you're talking about is like you, you said it before when you were talking about like St. Cloud and you're talking about it here when you're playing pro hockey, like the veteran leadership that you have when you get into higher level hockey. And I'm trying to figure out a way to like, like I'm a youth hockey director now and I'm trying to figure out a way to like, get that into youth hockey, that kind of experience, you know, and, and that like, it's just so important. And 
I feel like teams that are intentional with that and it goes both ways, just like what you were saying, Casey, like there has to be the, the older guys that are showing people the way, but you also, as a younger guy, have a responsibility to like choose your mentors as well. Right. So like what you were saying about, you know, there were certain guys that I gravitated towards. There were certain guys that I didn't want to gravitate towards because I saw the pros and cons of both of their approaches. And you even like listen to some of these other hockey podcasts and stuff, guys that have won Stanley Cups, guys that have won championships. Every single one of them talks about veteran leadership in the locker room like literally every single one of them and how important that is. And, uh, you know, coaches, you know, they can only do so much. Coaches can only do so much. If you don't have veteran leadership, you don't have the right guys that are following what you're trying to say and are bought in. It, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You're, you're screwed, you know? So that's kind of the way that I look at it and think about it. Vex, what do you, what do you think? First of all, Toph, this is why I love you. This is why we have the cousin connection. Cause I wanted to bring up Casey talking about veteran leadership, both at St. Cloud and in the American league. Like it's so important uh, to answer your question. First, Casey, I never, I never spoke to a sports psychologist other than when there was a, there was a car accident that happened where one of my teammates wound up passing away. So I did speak to a sports psychologist then for some stuff, which I learned a lot about sports psychology from that, even though it wasn't really about sports. Um, but a hundred percent, I think it's very important. And I wish that I would have gotten more into it at a younger age. I wish it was a thing. I encourage all young athletes to, to talk to sports psychologists because it will 100% help you. We've had a great, um, uh, mental coach on the podcast podcast before named Matt Calderoni. Um, he's unbelievable things he does with NHL guys down to youth. He works with a bunch of my guys, but, um, to get back to that veteran leadership, like what Casey said, it's, so important and to any of the kids listening or any of the coaches listening like like Tove said you have to establish that like bring in your older guys or your better players at the beginning of the year and tell them how important it is to be a good role model to do the right things to bring those you know fourth line guys who are the last guy in the team kind of under their wing in a way that's going to make them better and Tove always says this all the time you are the five people you hang out with most you are the people you constantly hang out with and, and it's so true. As I went through the game every year, whatever team I was on, guys that were older than me, as I got you know better and better throughout my pro career, it was always because I was looking at the guys who were on that team who had been in whatever league or higher leagues and had success. And I would watch what they did. I would see what they did. Oh, I need to add that to my game. I need to add that to my morning routine. I need to add that to my practice schedule. Playing with a guy like Casey who played in the NHL, played in the DEO, play, played in the American League, like, like seeing what he did, even though I was, you know, that was my eighth year playing professionally and I'm playing with him and Ben Walter, both guys who had great American League careers and played in the NHL. I'm picking up things from them in my eighth year pro and learning from guys like that. You never should stop learning and should constantly be questioning or, or asking questions of the older guys, of the successful guys. What are you seeing? Why are you successful? What did you, your best teammates you played with, what did they do? Like be a student of the game, whether you're a coach, a player, whatever, it is going to make you better. Yep, absolutely. It's absolutely. interesting. It's interesting too, right? When you think about some of the guys that you've played with, that you've gravitated towards that have been kind of those good role models. To me, it's, it's pretty simple. All of the ones that I played with or coached even that have gone on to play at the highest levels, they, they like took care of themselves physically and mentally. 
you know, they were always the guys stretching after practice. They were always the guys that were, you know, doing all that different type of stuff to make sure their bodies, their mind were fit. And then also they just cared about other people. Like they were just good people. And then I know some people slip through the cracks. Like there, there are a few guys that people don't care for that make it to the NHL that are whatever cocky, blah, 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 blah. But a vast, vast majority of them are just honest, good, hardworking people who have some talent and then figured it out and, and just did it. And, and uh, obviously there's a lot that goes into that. That's a very short way of saying it. But to me, like the guys that you gravitate towards or you want to gra- gravitate towards, it's, it's simple. They care about people and they work harder than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And that's the truth. When you, like, when you were talking about like the, uh, even down when we were at Shattuck, I, I remember, uh, you know, like those guys like Zach and Brady, they both lived and Tyler, for that matter, they both lived in Fairbolt off campus and they, you know, they would be, they would be at the rink after dark and, you know, they're just eating up ice time whenever they could. And, you know, that kind of mindset, I mean, you know, it just follows you throughout your career. And so if you're able to, if you're able to get around those kinds of people, you know, more often than not, it just kind of, it's either, you're either, you're either following them or you're, you're going to go off on your own path and, you know, maybe it doesn't work out. Um, but you know, the, the way that guys train nowadays, it seems like you don't have, you don't have a whole lot of opportunity to, to not be, you know, keeping up or else you're going to lose your edge in a hurry. For sure. Well, one of those guys I wanted to ask about Casey and, and there's actually a certain instance of when you were playing in Carolina that I wanted to ask you about was uh, Rod the Bod, Rod the Bod Brindamore, who you got the chance to play with in, uh, in Carolina. And how cool is it? So I got to ask you, you probably know the player by now since I've introduced it so far, but uh, he gets pretty much clocked in the neutral zone by Scott Hartnell and who comes up to his defense and fights Scott Hartnell, who is a good fighter in the NHL. It's our boy from right outside Minneapolis, Minnesota, Casey Borg comes to stick up for Rod the Bod, the captain of the hurricanes at the time. And obviously, I mean, I think we all know the lore of, of Brenda Moore, uh, being the captain there, winning the cup, and now he's done such an amazing job there as a, as a coach. Uh, what was he like? And then take us through that uh, that play there where you stuck up for him out on the ice as well. Yeah. Um, so he actually um, he invited me to stay at his house and train with him one summer. And well, not necessarily. I shouldn't say train with him, but you can't keep up to that man. He's phenomenal, but wow. I, I stayed at his house for a month and we, you know, would skate and, um, it was super generous of him and, you know, forever indebted to him. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was, it was incredible to have the limited exposure I had to him. I mean, he was, you, you can't, you can't outwork that guy. And, um, you know, his leadership obviously speaks for him for itself and, I almost feel like, you know, I shouldn't even be commenting too much more on him because he's just, you know, he's way, he's a hall of famer. Um, but yeah, it was having, having that exposure was, was incredible. And, um, you know, everybody respects him and obviously as a coach, I mean, he's doing a heck of a job down there and you can just tell he, he loves his guys and he's, I'm assuming he's just a, a great players coach and, um, you know, he's done such a fantastic job with, since he took over and I, you know, I couldn't be happier for him. I don't, I don't uh, keep in contact or anything, but it was, uh, it was a total pleasure to play for him and 
take those take those knuckles off my forehead from uh from Hartnell um <laughs> so I, I guess we were in <laughs> I mean the way that whole thing played out was uh so he gets hit and I was like all right well you know go take go try to do something I guess I wasn't I didn't really I didn't really realize that uh convoy the guy I had mentioned earlier was like right over my shoulder and he's he probably could have hung in there a little better than I did but um <laughs> he uh yeah so I, I just thought it was the right thing to do because that game I think at at that point in time uh it just I I think we were winning I probably in hindsight I probably should have just let convoy go I had no idea he was coming behind me but uh yeah I just thought you know what the heck i I got to try it. But the funny thing is, is after that all happened and, you know, obviously there's blood everywhere and um, it was fine. So then like fast forward a few years later, we were down in um, Las Vegas at the NHL awards and um, we went down with some Shattuck guys um, and we're sitting there and Hartnell came, came around. It was just kind of, I don't know, NHL guys were getting together and, um, one of my buddies goes up to Hartnell and Hartnell has no idea who my buddy is, had no idea who I was. And my buddy just goes up to him. And I think my buddy was done playing. He didn't, he didn't, uh, yeah, he had retired and he goes up to Hartnell and he goes, Hey, you guys going to go round two. And, uh, Hartnell, I think he kind of looked at him like, what, what are you talking about? (laughs) My buddy told him like, Oh, that's the guy that you fought or whatever. So then I started talking to Hartnell and he was like, He's like, oh man, I got this sweet picture in my cabin because he's got a cabin up in, uh, or he did. I don't know if he does anymore, but he he had a cabin up in Brandon, Minnesota. So he's like, oh man, like I uh, I got this sweet picture. It's I got it blown up. It's like right when I punched you and like the cut like, just happened and it kind of looks like a chicken foot. I got it like put up in my cabin and stuff. <laughs> just, no way. Yeah, you're in Hartnell's cabin. In the 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 but the funny thing is is that. When I was J- Jeff, we were talking about that Brainerd Minnesota hockey camps. Um, I had gone like I don't know, probably ten years earlier. We had gone to his cabin and we were playing poker on the weekend one night in that cabin. And so I just thought it was just like I didn't. I don't even know if I shared that part with him, but it was just kind of funny. And it was just it was one of those things where it was just you know you're in the heat of the bat, heat of the game, and I don't know the guy takes a run at the captain, and I don't know. It just seemed right. It obviously didn't work out that well, but I don't know. You got to stand in there somehow. <laughs> what did the bod say to you after the game? Uh, I was getting stitched up, and he just came in and tapped me on the leg, and he was just like, nice work. <laughs> <laughs> short so, and sweet. <laughs> short and sweet, but, uh, you know, that was just another thing. You know, they had a some of those guys they had on the team that year when I got called up. It was just – it was pretty awesome. You know, they had Corey Stillman and Ray Whitney and – Rod the Bod, Eric Cole, Hedekin, Matt Cullen, all these guys. And it was just, again, you just go in there and you just soak it up the best you can. And, you know, all those guys that just won the cup and um, it was, uh, it was great. And then they had the young guys, Eric Stahl and Cam Ward. And um, it was just, it was just a great group of, you know, older pros that you could learn from and who had, you know, all those guys that played a thousand games. It was like, holy cow, this is fantastic how good was Ray Whitney? Because I feel like he's one of the most underrated players of all time. Like watching him play, does anybody, I shouldn't say does anybody, but like the hockey sense and the way he plays the game, I just feel like he doesn't get enough credit for how freaking good he was for so long. No, I totally agree. I mean, he was fantastic for so many years. 
And I think he was, uh, you know, he was just one of those guys where it was just, you know, you didn't necessarily notice him. And then at the end of the night, he just had three, three points and just a whole hum night, three points and do it again the next night. His, his, the way he played was, it was so intuitive and it was almost like he was two steps ahead at all, all the, all times it was crazy same with uh Corey Stillman I remember I mean the way those guys could think and just you know just the little the little subtle things that go unnoticed it was uh it was pretty awesome to have an opportunity to you know play and practice with those guys it was uh a great learning experience put it that way I can imagine. So, so then you took, as you, I think you said, you took your talents over, uh, over across the pond into Europe. And- yeah. I don't really know why I said that. <laughs> I think that's, uh, I think that's, what, that's like a LeBron James line. So I know Jeff's a big LeBron James guy. So, oh yeah, yeah. totally. But, so, uh, you should have said you took your dumper over to Europe. <laughs> yeah. I, packed, I packed up my, uh, my two hockey bags and a couple sticks. And I, I went over to the Czech Republic and tried that out. And, uh, that was good. Uh, we won the league, so that was pretty cool. It was, um, did, it was, did, you go, did you go to check two or check one the first year? Check one. I went to, I think it was called the Extra Liga or something like that. Yeah. Um, Sick league. And we ended up winning the dang thing. And that was, it was me and two other guys, guy Corey Elkins and John Sim. And uh, we were the three imports. And it was just different. I mean, it was, there wasn't a whole lot of English and I don't think they, I don't know if they really liked us or didn't like us. I have no idea, but um, I just remember by the end of the year, a sim had gone to Berlin and Elkins was, I think he was injured. So he was at home. So it was just me for like the last three months. And uh, you know, we ended up winning the thing and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Nice town, met some nice people. It was like 40, 40 minutes outside of Prague. Um, but just a totally, di- that was my first, first go around in Europe. So it was, uh, I don't know. It was all right. That's tough. That's tough. Tough. That's, that's Casey being a nice guy. That's tough right there. Being in that league with the Czechs who don't love to be, uh, they're not the most welcoming people from the ones that I have encountered. You know, it's, it's not like going to Germany or Austria or where they let the, everyone speaks English and stuff, but what a sick league though. Yeah. Yeah. There are some, there are some great players. Actually the kid who's on Vegas right now, his name's uh, Thomas Nosek. He scored the other night. I mean, he's been in Vegas now. Yeah. That was unreal, but he was like the, the young, uh, the young and upcomer, you know, he's playing with a K John and he was kind of up between our team and I don't know if it would be the junior team or how exactly they did it, but he was kind of in between. And, uh, yeah, I think he signed in Detroit originally. And I remember his dad's name was Harry and, uh, Harry was the strength coach. He was just like this huge check guy, Harry, no Harry, no <laughs> And, uh, you know, he was a pretty friendly guy. And so then all of a sudden I saw Tom signed in Detroit and he was playing and now he's heck doing well. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You had an awesome career over there and then you got to Japan and got to play with uh, my lovely co-host on the other side of this computer. I had to ask you before we let you go, man, you have to have a good Jeff Levecchio story from playing together with him. So yeah. just, if you can, the most embarrassing one, you know that how many goals did you score that year jeff 
scored 33 that year. Not a so big deal. 40, right 48 games, maybe. <laughs> 33 what celebrations? <laughs> 33 uh, embarrassing times just in the goal celebrations alone. <laughs> I remember I remember there was one stretch of games where I think I scored like nine goals in like four games and I was scoring all our goals. And one time I sallied on the ice right past Casey and he was like, really? Like, he, and he looked at me like, really? You're going to sally again? Like you scored so much in the last three games. Do you need to sally every time? Yeah, he, uh, he loves scoring goals. And so I think the best was just that normally you would play in these rinks and there'd be like, 47 fans and uh you could hear when jehu would score or they called him jehu that was his japan name and uh so he would score and some of the goals that he would score were like out of uh like the sega game 94 nhl 94 like he'd be doing like wraparounds and stuff uh and uh he would score and they'd just be like whoa and he'd just be hooting and hollering and like jumping in the glass and you know it's fine i, I don't i just don't do it that way which it doesn't make it right or wrong but um you know i guess it was kind of i loved it i love watching like if it was just me and walter it would have been super like just boring and quiet but we had jehu so it was kind of like the perfect it was like the perfect storm of uh imports and then uh there's over in um in og on the island too we had Merley and caldwell and veyu so we it seemed like we played those guys like every every other weekend. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I would just say watching Jeff in Tokyo and in these smaller Japanese places where the culture is kind of more quiet and reserved and Jeff is very outgoing. This isn't really a knock, but they would just kind of, kind of look at him like, man, I don't know what to think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, then they get to know him and they, and they love him, But, um, I'm just trying to think what, what else. I, I mean, know. just the name Jehu. I mean, that's probably Jehu. what I'm going to call him for the rest of the time that we're doing this podcast together. Jehu Vecchio. Yeah. He was Jehu. And like, you just see him, like I would kind of just go to practice and we had this, they called it the clubhouse and they had like a weight room and um, I don't know, you had to do your own laundry and stuff. Like the called it, I think Caldwell called it the laundry league. And uh, so like, you'd kind of have to hang out there, but Jehu would typically do some, extracurricular working out um you know where me and ben would maybe just go grab lunch and uh they're not like you just kind of go home and jeff lived he had a nice apartment down the road and me, me and ben lived ben and i lived together and then all of a sudden you'd go all back out of your apartment after you got your lunch or whatever and then you just kind of always see jeff just like driving around or it was a super small city and we'd always just kind of run into him or or see him just kind of like at random places like oh Jeff's going to get some heavy tan soba or whatever. <laughs> you remember it, you know? And then, uh, but it, it was really, it was actually awesome because he had already been there for a year. And so he knew all the places and he kind of showed us and he was super accommodating. So that was good. And then he would take us on the, these road trips. And um, I guess we were talking about before the podcast started, we got, we had to take a ferry to one of these places and they were like talking the whole time, like, okay, we might not go. There's a huge storm coming. And I don't know, eventually we got on this boat and it was like three hours on a cruise ship and you're just bobbing in the waves. And Jay, Jay was, 
Jay, who is what he said, welcome to the Thunderdome or something like that. They <laughs> all crammed in this tiny room and on the boat. And, uh, you know, we made it and, uh, Jeff knew a little, we Japanese. thought we were going to die. Hey, yeah, it wasn't it a was, three hour ferry meet. It was an overnight ferry and it was oh, a yeah, sleeper. Was that's right. And we yeah, had a room right. where you'd come in, you'd have to take your shoes off, put on your Japanese slippers, put on your robe. And there was like a, there was like a hot tub upstairs. Remember that we were in the hot that's tub right. in the beginning and overnight yeah it was a massive boat like a cruise ship type boat and overnight it was the worst storm i've ever been a part of i literally thought we were gonna die i think it was the three imports in a room together tope i swear to god we might have said three words for six hours i don't know if any of us slept for like eight hours because we literally thought the boat was gonna capsize there was alarms going off every 10 minutes we were freaking out we come out of our room in the morning when we finally get to land, like we're almost puking, we're freaking sick. And we're talking to the Japanese guys. We're like white, like, oh my God, we're alive. We made it. And they just thought it was no big deal. Like, oh yeah, that, that happens sometimes. And I was like, yeah. I refuse to ever get on this ferry again. I'll pay my own plane ticket to fly to whatever city we're going to. I will never take this ferry ever again. And then we wound up taking it again for playoffs, I think. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we really took it again. And you didn't buy your own flight. I did not. I'll talk. Just all yeah, talk. talk. Absolutely. <laughs> all talk. So Topher, real quick, you're doing the youth game. I started coaching Bantams last year. What uh what are you are you coaching or are you just running the show? I'm actually doing both. So I have uh, an 18U team and uh also the hockey director for the organization here. I'm I'm up in central New York near like kind of Syracuse. And, nice. uh, yeah, it's been good. I mean, there, you learn a lot about youth hockey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, yeah. but like the coaching side of it is, has been a lot of fun. Like we have a really good group of kids and a really good group of parents. Uh, so that certainly helps. Um, like the, the thing that's tough is just like all the BS that you have to deal with, with like, you know, like recruiting teams and and just trying to figure all that stuff out and you know it's kind of youth hockey has kind of turned into a little bit more of an arms race than anything about like development and making kids better um which is is kind of weird and tough to to kind of navigate through um yeah. but i don't know if you're seeing similar stuff out by where you guys are but it's uh it's good man i mean when you got a good group of kids and a good group of parents i mean it, it makes for an awesome experience yeah yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fun. I mean, it's, there's just so many opportunities and it's kind of just, it just seems, I, I think I'm kind of a dinosaur. I'm playing catch up on like realizing what is actually happening. You know, you can go to these hockey academies and play for your association or, you know, there's all skills coaches everywhere. You can get extra skills and, you know, guys are, I think it just kind of, to me, it just seems like, uh, it seems like it's a lot there's a lot of opportunity, which is great, but at the same time, like there's a, you have to keep in mind, there's like a progression on your, on your levels. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it seems like that's to me, it seems like it'd be important to kind of at least follow your levels a little bit and not try to bite off more than you can chew um, when you're developing into trying to be, if it's a good high school player, get to college, get to junior whatever, just seems like they want to skip their steps in a hurry and just get to the, get to the top without, you know, without doing the work in between. Before we let you go case here, what kind of advice or or how important do you think it is for guys that 
that played the higher levels, you know, some level of college or some level of pro or, you know, whatever it may be, however long they played guys that reached, you know, higher levels of hockey. How important do you think it is for them to get back and, and give back to youth hockey and get into coaching and be able to teach kind of the next generation what they've learned. And it kind of goes back to you talking about veterans in the locker room, kind of the same idea. What would you say to guys who are finishing why it's important for them to get back into the game? Yeah, I, I would encourage it. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the, one of the main things is the time commitment, you know, to go all in is it's a lot to just come off of a, a long career, short career, whatever it is and dive in. It's like, I didn't realize how the, the time commitment, but I, I think I have an awesome head coach and he, I kind of told him like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can commit to all of it, but by the time you actually get out there and do it, next thing you know, you're all in too. So, um, you know, I think it's important for the, for guys, if they're able to, you know, I never get on my soapbox and try to tell someone how to handle their life after hockey, but if they have a local team that they could just do something, um, even if it's just talk to like parents or coaches and just kind of help with the lay of the land, um, you know, I'm sure that would go a long way or just kind of be a guy in the community that somehow just reaches out to the program and just says, Hey, I'm here. You know, I could maybe give you an hour here or there or something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's very important. I think that, I think it's appreciated too, because it, I'm sure that for these associations, like a lot of times they're looking for some new blood and, um, you know, fresh ideas. So I would encourage it, but again, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get on my soapbox. That just works, worked for me. So, um, yeah, it's well, fun. Well, that's why we do this podcast and that's why we had you on and happy to hear your story. Happy to get it out there and appreciate you coming on, bro. It's good talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. So, um, hockey think tank, turn it on. <laughs> that should be our new slogan. Yeah, I turn like it that. on. Turn we're, it on. We're stealing it. We're stealing yeah. it from the big dumper himself. <laughs> Hockey think tank. Turn it on, man. Good stuff. Yeah, Thanks so much, so Casey. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. Guys. Enjoy your evening.